The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 13th chapter. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the gospel of the Lord. Give me a brief second to um, give you a uh, Women's History Month update. <clears throat> Catherine Winkworth, a strong hero of the faith. In the 19th century, she was brought along with her family. They moved from Germany to England, and she was homesick for Germany. She was homesick for worshiping in a Lutheran church because you're in England, so you go to the Anglican church and they speak English there, right? Do they sing German hymns in Anglican churches in England in the 19th century? No, they don't. And so Catherine uh, Winkworth, she said, she put down her iPad and she said, I'm going to translate every German hymn into English and they're all going to rhyme and they're all going to sound okay. And that's what she did. So we get this incredible hymn from her, one of the things she's passed on to us. And uh, I pray with the church, uh, let no false doctrine me beguile, let Satan not my soul defile, Give strength and patience unto me to bear my cross and follow thee. And so we begin the sermon in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> Why does pastor care where the baptismal font is in the church? It used to be up there. It used to be attached to the wall, actually. People, don't let me forget. Now we have screwed into the wall a hook to put the flame thing. Why does pastor care what's on the stained glass up here? I never looked at it before, pastor. Why does pastor try his best to make the most of the space up here? Psalm 74, zeal for your house 
has consumed me, O Lord. Jeremiah had a hard time. Does anyone know about like how they would lower Jeremiah into a well to try and get him to stop preaching and teaching? He spent a whole bunch of time down there and they finally took him out. They're constantly trying to say, we're going to kill you, Jeremiah. We're going to kill you if you don't stop preaching and teaching the way that you do. The way that you preach and teach makes us feel bad, Jeremiah. Stop it. Get some help. Well, God finally gives in verse 4 of Jeremiah 26 the reasoning for why uh, he's having Jeremiah speak this way to the leaders and the priests and all the people in charge in Israel, or sorry, Judah. Thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me or walk in my law that I've set before you or listen to the words of my servants and prophets whom I send to you urgently, then I will make this house like Shiloh. And you're asking, what do you mean? Like Shiloh, Illinois? No, not like Shiloh, Illinois. Possibly like Shiloh, Illinois. Haven't been there in a while. I bet you gas is cheaper, though, down there. <laughs> he will make you like Shiloh, which means I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. And you ask yourself, what are they doing that's that bad that God himself is going to curse Jerusalem? He's going to curse the promised land. He's going to curse the city where God promises to be and dwell. Yep. God will do that. In fact, I don't know how much of this will resonate with you, but ever since Thursday, I've been obsessed with listening to the music and reading about the life of Kanye West. All this spurred on by a Netflix documentary. I don't know what you'll do to me, but I didn't know that he grew up in Chicago. He's, I don't, he's not Mr. Shy City, but he does say Shy City a lot before his songs. Never put two and two together. But the thing is, I don't know what you know about Kanye West, but a lot of people think that he has a lot of pride. A lot of gall, maybe. But what's weird is, watching him in the documentary, some dude gave up his life <laughs> and followed him around with the camera ever since he was like 19. It's very weird, but now they have a seven and a half hour documentary about him. Um, and he's constantly reminding, no matter how old he is or what he's doing, he's constantly reminding the people around him that everything we have has been given to us by God and he can take it away at any time. And people would always call Kanye, which means the only one in Ethiopian. They would always say, Kanye, you're bringing us down. Stop reminding us that everything we have is given to us by God and it can be taken away at any time. And Kanye said, remember. And then Kanye gets in a car accident 
right as his career is taking off, they finally sign him. He's got some hits. He gets in a car accident and he breaks his jaw and it's, his mouth is wired shut. And he can't rap, he can't sing, he can't produce. In an, inter- in an interview, they ask him, Kanye, you talk a lot about God. What does he mean by breaking your jaw at the start of your career? And Kanye says, God's telling me that maybe something big is going to happen, but never forget, Kanye, I can take it all away whenever I would have it. And so God, through the mouths of the prophets, is constantly reminding his people that everything that they have has been given to them by him and he can take it all away. And in fact, he can put a curse on people, places, and even periods of time for those who resist his word and will not turn away. Here's the reality. God brings chastisement to those that he loves. He says that in the same way that a father disciplines his children, he brings chastisement to those that he loves. In fact, we can even get a little bit of that in what Jesus says about the hen gathering the chicks under her wings. God punishes those who disobey, who neglect his commands and words. We read that in the close of the commandments in Exodus right after he lists the ten. We don't know the numbering, but we know there's ten. (laughs) He brings plagues. He brings tyrannical governments. He has it that people only have one or two kids or none at all. He makes cities violent and unlivable. He raises taxes. He inflates dollars. He makes churches a tenth the size they used to be. In God's perfect justice, he makes people who thought they were fine low. He takes away his word from them in judgment. He does all these things to remind people that Everything that they have is from him. But it's crazy. He does these things. People see the reality of these curses in their daily life, and they keep living the way that they always do. They double down sometimes even. And when God sends his messengers, his prophets, his teachers, to remind people of this, they usually silence They get rid of them. Sometimes they even kill them. And so it went with Jeremiah. So it went with John the Baptist. So it went with Jesus Christ. So it went with Paul. So it went with pastors in the Soviet Union, in Siberia, in Ukraine, in Nazi Germany. And in our gospel lesson today, 
Jesus continues the tradition of Jeremiah. In fact, it's, it's almost refreshing. Jesus is quite the firecracker in today's gospel. Basically, the Pharisees, usually people that are always out to get Jesus, they're warning Jesus, you got to get out of here. Don't come to Jerusalem or Herod's going to kill you. Little did they, little did Jesus know that, well, sorry, Jesus knew. Little did his disciples know, though. The Pharisees also wanted to kill him. But Jesus becomes nonchalant and even joyful in the face of death, in the possibility of suffering. He says crazy things like, oh, don't worry about it, Pharisees. Today I'm going to just do what I want to do. Tomorrow I'm going to do, oh, what I want to do. And the next day, I'm going to finish up by going to Jerusalem. Exactly what you told me not to do. And why does he say? He says, it wouldn't be right because I'm a prophet, Jesus says. It's what you call me. I'm a prophet. It wouldn't be right if I didn't die in Jerusalem. Because all of your ancestors killed the prophets. So I ought to go and be like them, huh? And then he says very solemnly, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood, and yet you aren't willing? A.K.A., think of all the awesome things we could have done together, Jerusalem, my people, I'm your Messiah. A lot of you know it for brief periods of time. Man, how cool would it have been if we just did what we could have done? But you said no. You wanted to go the way of the world instead. And so he does something scary. He says, behold, your house is forsaken. He continues that curse that Jeremiah spoke in the Jeremiah reading today because they wouldn't repent, because they wouldn't turn away from their ways that were evil and listen to the word and listen to God's prophets. And he says something even more interesting. He says, I tell you, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Which is kind of funny. A little dark. I mean, we're all, we sing this every week in what's called the Sanctus, right before we receive communion, right before we sing, um, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest, yeah? Even the Pharisees are going to sing this. Even the people that departed from Jesus when he would say things like, whoever eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood will have eternal life. They all hightailed it out of there. But they'll come and they'll show up at Jerusalem because they hear Jesus, the prophets, coming to Jerusalem for Passover week. Holy cow, I want to be there. Do you think they'll kill him? He keeps saying that they're going to kill him. Are they going to stone him? Like Jeremiah. Jeremiah. 
There's Jeremiah getting stoned to death. But they're going to proclaim that Jesus is not only a prophet, but he's the king. And then they'll kill him and they'll put a sign over his head that says, Jesus Christ, King of the Jews, or I-N-R-I. He'll take all that mocking, he'll take all that suffering that he endures, and he'll go to the cross and he'll die. Because no one could even imagine that maybe their problems aren't just happening to them, but maybe they're contributing to them. Maybe their disobedience has resulted in the cursing of the place that they live, of their lifestyle, which is why we pray Christ have mercy on us and we have faith in and we trust that man on the cross who is also fully God to forgive our sins because when he died he didn't stay dead he rose again when when the people sing blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord as Jesus enters Jerusalem They're celebrating Jesus coming back into the temple in God's holy city where he promised to be, where we sing all the time in the Psalms about how Jesus, God, is present in the temple. He's here to die for us, to give us forgiveness, not only for our stubbornness, but even for the sins that we don't take the time to even care to confess. But he doesn't just forgive sins. He makes everything right. He takes action. He behaves differently than we do for us. Zeal for my father's house has consumed me, is what Jesus says when he's in the temple. What's cool is Jesus takes the psalm and he makes it about himself. Now, usually it's bad when you make things about yourself, not when you're Jesus. And in so doing, when he says, zeal for my father's house instead of the Lord, when he says, zeal for my father's house has consumed me, he opens our minds to understand the Psalms. The Psalms are either our prayers to Jesus or Jesus's prayers on our behalf. Isn't that wonderful? It makes everything about the Psalms different. But this Psalm in particular about zeal for a father's house, our father who art in heaven, but also Jesus's father who art in heaven, the one who sent him to die for us. Him praying the Psalm is what unites Jeremiah to John the Baptist, to Jesus, to Paul, zeal for their father's house. Paul in Philippians even has a more intense word for us. Jesus, or Paul contrasts the wicked of this world with the righteous. He says that there are people whose lives revolved around immediate feelings and needs and earthly goals He calls them worshipers of the belly, which is constantly quoted, I guess, in the last few months in places that I've been looking. 
and I finally found where it's from. But people who are desirous to fit that need that they feel in their belly immediately and don't care about far-off goals like, where will I go when I die? It's people who put these immediate needs and selfish desires in place of being a Christian. And it's contrasted with us, with our hope. Our hope, a living hope, in a Jesus Christ who will return, justly will deliver judgment between each person. But not only that, but will raise us, raise you from the dead. And no, he won't just put the bones together and will be skeletons or, you know, your hip hurts and you don't want your hip to hurt for eternity. That's not what he means. What does he say? He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. By what? By the power which enables him even to subject all things to himself. Which is a way that we might even try to understand what it is to be God. To have a power which subjects all things to yourself. That same power is what raises you from the dead. It's the same power that will transform your body to be like his body. And it is the same power that enables you to examine yourself, confess your sin, and receive forgiveness. And so, Paul read this one. So I want to read it to you. Brothers, sisters, join in imitating Jeremiah, Jesus, John the Baptist, Paul, Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me, your pastor, as I imitate Christ. Be consumed with zeal for your father's house. Be an agent of change for your church. If you find something that needs to be done, do it, knowing that your father who sees in secret will reward you in secret. If you see something that makes you upset, change it. But above all else, turn from your old ways and follow Jesus. Don't watch him from a distance. Don't admire him. Follow him through his suffering, to his death, and into life everlasting. Amen.